You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. the very end, and tonight's text is going to deal with, with a giant issue. It's going to deal with the issue of, of prophecy, of God's Word and understanding what is true. And so as you remain standing, let me read for you, starting in verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians 5, listen now to the Word of God. It says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil. Now, we'll stop right there and have a seat. And uh, as you have a seat, I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited to walk through tonight's text. And and I want to ask you, just to kind of begin, what what goes through your mind when you hear the word prophecy? Do you start to get your your ears perked up a little bit? Like, what are are we talking about tonight? Or, Or how about this? When you not not just hear the word prophecy, but what about when you hear hear the word discernment? It's not a word we use very often. Discernment. The idea of knowing how to tell what is true and, and what is false. Knowing how to tell what is good and what is terrible. I remember one point in my life when I was very undis- or I was undiscerning. I was about uh, I was about maybe seven or eight years old. We were camping with a bunch of friends and, and family friends, and and me and all of our friends. We were running around, and it was just starting to get dark, and and I was running and playing tag. Who knows what I was doing? And I and I ran over to one of the trusted adults that was there at the campsite, and they had there was someone who was always drinking Pepsi, and they had their Pepsi can in one of those like uh, can cooler things. It just wrapped around it, so you couldn't really tell what was in the can, but this person, they always drank Pepsi, and so I go up to him, I say, oh, you know what, I am so thirsty, can I, can can I just have a drink of your Pepsi, and they kind of sparkled in their eye, and they said, sure, and they handed me this can, and I was parched. I mean, I was, I was dying of thirst, so I took their Pepsi, and I just took a giant drink, and as it hit my lips and my tongue and my throat, I spat it out. Blah! I was an ignorant young kid. I, I thought that they had put, like, cigarette butts in there. It was the worst thing I had ever tasted. I came to find out they were not drinking Pepsi. They were drinking beer, and it was terrible. And I spat that thing out and they laughed. They had a great time. But in that moment, I had absolutely no discernment. I mean, I should have been able to tell. There were some cues if I look back in that situation, especially the sparkle in their, or the sparkle in the eye and the smirk on their face in that moment. I, I should have known that that was not what I expected. But, but how about you? How about you in your pursuit of Jesus? You realize we live in a world that has so many marketed messages toward you. Here is what you should believe. Here is what you should think. Here is what you should sing as you turn on your radio. And how often do you have discernment about the ideas you're consuming? 
I wonder if you're able to tell whether you're drinking Pepsi or beer. Let me put it this way. I wonder if you're able to tell whether you are digesting the true word of God or something that's terrible for you. What we're going to talk about tonight is not just this word prophecy, but really this word discernment. And what I want to see together as we look in this text, if you open up your Bible, if you have not done that yet, if you open up your Bible, the 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 through 22, what I want to see, our big idea tonight, is devotion to God requires discernment from God. Devotion to God. If you're here tonight or if you're tuning in online and you're someone that says, I am devoted to God. I love God. I love Jesus. I want more of the things of God in my life. My simple message to you rooted in tonight's text is very clear. Devotion to God. It requires discernment from God. It requires you don't drink whatever someone hands to you. It requires you think deeply about everything that you're taught about the things of God, including everything I say when I stand to share with you from the Word of God. And so, let me ask you, what what does it look like to get discernment? Do you have it? Do you know if you're a discerning person when it comes to spiritual things or not? And, and, And maybe another question is, what does discernment even look like? What does it look like to be someone who who is able to, as we're going to see tonight, test everything, test everything you hear, everything that's taught to you? Well, let's open up the scripture together. Let's turn to God's word and let's learn together from God's word how we can become a people, how you can become a believer, a Christian, a a husband, a, 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 a wife, a father, a mother, a teenager, who has discernment regarding the things of God. Let's jump in here. The very first thing we're going to see tonight, look at verse 20. We're going to see very first thing, that discernment values God's word. You ever met someone who is discerning, and it's like their spiritual posture is like this? And they're incredulous about anything. They won't believe anything. They, they, are, they are not eager to believe the word of God. They're eager to critique the word of God. That's not where discernment starts. What we're going to see here tonight is discernment starts with the value of God's word. Chapter 5, verse 20. Simply put, it says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. Now remember, this letter was written to a group of people, the church in Thessalonica, the church that Paul planted a number of months before he wrote this letter, and he planted it, and then he got kicked out of the city kind of in a rush. He had to leave quickly, and he's writing back to them, encouraging them and teaching them, and as he begins to conclude his letter, he says, says, do not despise prophecies. That word prophecies, prophecy, it it means, simply put, to speak forth. To to prophesy, it it simply means to speak forth. You see, in this time, when Paul was writing this letter to those in Thessalonica, there was a lot happening. God was revealing himself. He was revealing new authoritative truth. And all of the revelation that he was given, it was regarding one person. It was regarding Jesus. 
This new authoritative truth of God was being given through certain people in that specific time period, and all of it was being given aiming like, like a giant neon arrow pointing down at one person, at Jesus Christ. And, and so the point here was don't despise the word of God that's being given to you. Don't despise the word of God. Now, in that time, there were sign gifts that accompanied, oftentimes accompanied the word of God as validation. People would be able to perform miraculous signs. Paul was one of those, the writer of this very letter. But, but this letter right here, what he says is he says, do not despise the prophecies. Do not despise the, the, the giving of God's word. Now, the idea of speaking forth God's word, it, it typically happened in one of two ways. One of the ways is what we would call to foretell. This is the classic way we think about prophecy. When we talk about foretelling, we think about someone saying, thus saith the Lord, in three days, this is going to happen to you. They are, they are prophesying, they are foretelling a future event that they have special knowledge about. They're saying this is going to happen. That's usually where our mind goes, but that's actually not the primary idea of prophesying. Not only is prophecy sometimes foretelling, but it's also what we would say forthtelling. Forthtelling. Most of the Old Testament prophets, you know what they did? They, they, they were forthtelling. They were saying, this is what is true. This is what is true right now in this moment. Yes, there were prophecies. Many of them were about the destruction of nations or of even Israel because of their rebellion. Yes, there were prophecies foretelling the coming of the Messiah. But by and large, many of the prophets, they just came and they declared, this is the situation. This is what's going on. And so then the question then, well, then what is the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy according to the New Testament is actually a few things. I'm not going to cover everything, but, but first of all, prophecy, the purpose is to warn and or encourage. As someone speaks prophecy, as they maybe foretell, but more than likely foretell what is true, the purpose is not that they show that they have some special revealed knowledge. The purpose is to, to warn and encourage. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies, he, he speaks for the encouragement, for the upbuilding of people. He, here's what oftentimes it, it can look like. Hey, you're not living the way you should, so you should turn from your sin. You should repent. Or hey, Life is hard, and so you need to hold firm to the gospel. Or, hey, hard times are coming, even harder times, and so be prepared. But all of it is to warn and to encourage, to build up the people of God. But, but it wasn't really actually about the people of God. Because, really, all of prophecy is meant to do one most important thing. The most important thing that all of prophecy does is it, it's to draw attention to Christ. To draw attention to Christ. The book of Revelation is a book where uh, it's full of prophecy. Sometimes people are scared to read that book. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll mention it to someone, and they'll say, oh, I don't read that book. I avoid that one. It's scary because of all the prophecy. 
But if you get to near the end of the book of Revelation, as the angel is speaking to John, the apostle who is being given this revelation, look at what he says, Revelation 19.10. John says, I fell at the feet to worship the angel, but the angel said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God. But then look at these next few words. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, the spirit of prophecy is not, I've got a word for you, and it's going to be that you're healthy and wealthy for the rest of your life. The spirit of, God, or the spirit of prophecy is not, let me tell you what I think should happen in our church, because I've got a special word. The spirit of all prophecy is Jesus Christ. Specifically, the, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? We talk about this week after week. I want you to know, if you're a guest here, this is the very foundation of everything we do. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? There's actually weeks where I, I'm tempted to just say, hey, someone come up here and share the testimony of Jesus Christ. Someone, anyone from the audience, and this is when everyone looks down, make sure they don't make eye contact, right? Because we talk about it so often. This is so core. The testimony of Jesus Christ is very simple. That Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God, the only one. That he came after, after living all of pre-eternity, and he existed, pre-existent, he came in the flesh. We're about to celebrate that Christmas. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and his life, it ended when he, because of his great love for you and for me, he took all of our sins and he paid the price for them on the cross. He died and was buried. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected from the, from the grave so that anyone and everyone who believes this about Jesus says they are given eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. They are made new. This is the testimony of Jesus. And listen very carefully. This is the spirit of all prophecy. You know, the very first prophecy in Scripture speaks of Christ. It's not in your notes, but Genesis chapter 3 Verse 15, in the garden of Eden, after Satan had, had come as a serpent and he had deceived Adam and Eve and they had sinned and they had eaten the forbidden fruit and they had fallen from grace, they had fallen away from God and then God begins to declare the curse upon Satan, the man, and the woman. But in that, the very first prophecy in all of Scripture, chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Listen very carefully. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All the way back in Genesis, there is a prophetic word about the offspring of the woman who is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who, who is bruised by the serpent, his death on the cross, and then in turn crushes the head of Satan, the resurrection and the eternal kingdom. The very first prophecy in all of Scripture is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Do you know the very last prophecy in all of Scripture is a prophecy coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ? 
Back to Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, almost the very last verse of the scripture. Here's what it says. He who testifies to these things says, Jesus' words, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This prophetic word is a promise from Christ that he is going to return See, the spirit of prophecy is what? The spirit of the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, the purpose of prophecy is not that we feel spiritual. The purpose of prophecy is not so that someone, they stand above everyone else and they say, oh, look, I'm spiritually elite. I'm better than everyone else. I have a closer connection to God than any of you. No, the spirit of prophecy lands squarely on one person, the person who is Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of prophecy. And that prophecy, it builds, and that prophecy actually it culminates. I, wanna, I want you to consider not just the purpose of prophecy, but I want you to consider the culmination of all prophecy. The culmination of all prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me show you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews, here is what he says. Listen to this. He says, long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke, forthtelling, the word of God coming, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see, the ultimate revelation is Jesus Christ. This says that, that many times and in many ways long ago, God spoke to us. He spoke to us how? Through the prophets. But it says now in these last days that this final revelation has come, and it's the revelation that he has brought through his son, Jesus Christ. The, the old way, the Old Testament prophets, God spoke that way. And then God's final revelation is the New Testament writers chronicling the life of Jesus and the implications of his death and resurrection. This is God's revelation. This is, this is the, the New Testament and the Old Testament scriptures all brought together in these final days. See, the ultimate prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I would continue, though. This is, in Jude, this is, not, this is called the faith once delivered. Once for all delivered. Let me show you. Jude, it's a very short book toward the end of your Bible. And it only has one chapter. And so every verse is just Jude 1 is one verse, not a chapter. Jude 2 is one verse, not a chapter. Jude 3. Listen to what Jude 3 says. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, Jude wants to write about something really joyful, celebrating their, their shared salvation. He, here's what he says. I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, there, we can spend a lot of time on this one verse. Jude is writing to his original audience and then through them to us. He's saying, you and I, we must contend. We must battle. We must stand strong. We must press forward for what? For the faith. 
What is the faith? The faith is the message of Jesus. The faith is the one true gospel. And listen, he says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith has been once for all delivered. You realize you have every revelation you need. It's been delivered. It's been delivered according to the scripture once for all. If you have Christ, if you have the spirit of prophecy, you you have the faith. You, You don't just have it. Listen very carefully. You and I, we have been entrusted with it. We've been entrusted with it. I want you to, will you take a little bit of a journey with me? I want you to kind of, kind of mentally get your mind around the trajectory of prophecy toward how prophecy was delivered to the apostles and the, and the prophets, and then how it was passed on, and ultimately we have the same prophecy we hold to today. Let me show you this trajectory. If you want, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. I'm going to look at every chapter of 2 Timothy. I'm just going to do a cursory, kind of an arc over 2 Timothy. And I want you to see this trajectory and how the word of God is meant to impact you, how you and I, we've been entrusted with it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing, and he's writing to a a young minister named Timothy. And look at how he begins his description of Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5, here's what he says. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. I want you to say those two words with me, okay? Ready? Sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul is talking about something specific, his sincere faith. Chapter 2, verse 15. Or actually, no, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Back up to chapter 1. Chapter 12, he says, which is why I suffer as I do. Continue with me, he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. Say that word with me, believed. Believed. It's the same word as faith. The same word, faith or believed. He says, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Hold on to that word entrusted. Verse 13. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What has been entrusted to him? The same thing that was entrusted to Paul. The same thing that Paul is sure dwells in Timothy. What is it that dwells in Timothy? His faith. What is his faith in? His faith is in the testimony of Jesus Christ. His faith is in the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 15. He's continuing. Verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Why? rightly handling the word of truth. The word of truth is what? The faith 
that has been passed down to him. The word of truth is what? The gospel that has been entrusted to him. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, all scripture, all of the prophetic writings that have been given to us by God. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Look at those first two words. All scripture. The faith that has now been written down, the faith that has now been written down and preserved, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then finally, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Look at, look at the way he loads up before he swings this. When I say load up, here's what I mean. A baseball player, you watch them, when the pitch comes, they lean back and they get ready to put all their weight into it. Look at how Paul loads up before he actually gives Timothy his instruction here. Here's what he says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. This is a massive lead up. It's a charge in the presence of God and of Christ who is going to judge the living and dead, who is going to return and appear. Here's what he says. He says, preach the word. What word? The word that has been entrusted in him. The word that is the testimony that has been handed down to him. The word that is the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see, as we walk through these scriptures, I want you to see the journey I'm trying to take us on tonight to get us to think correctly about this word prophecy. Prophecy is in its very core. It is the word of God. Let me say that again. Prophecy in its very core, it's not that I get a crazy idea and I just feel a little bit of movement in my emotion and I want to share something with you. No, listen very carefully. Prophecy at its very core, it is the word of God, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God then has spoken and he has spoken fully regarding his son, Jesus Christ. The gospels and the New Testament writers who who lay out the implication of the gospels, this is the full picture of Jesus Christ. This is the full revelation of Jesus Christ, which means, which means what we have in our hand is valuable. It is so valuable. What we hold in our hand means that this is, this is the prophecy this is the word of God that we're not to despise. You see, this means that now we continue prophesying not by having new revelation. Now we continue prophesying not by foretelling. Here's what's going to happen. We continue prophesying by forthtelling, which is most often done in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. You with me? You understand the way the scripture speaks of itself, the way the scripture speaks of what prophecy is, and the way the scripture speaks of the very core of it and how we interact with it now. We interact with it as we continue the preaching and teaching of the word of God that has been re revealed, the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. Now then, that begs the question, why would anyone despise this? 
Remember our text, verse 20? It says, do not despise the prophecy, right? Well, there's debate. We, don't, we actually don't know why people would despise it. Some people think that, that when the prophecy was being delivered, it wasn't as dramatic as some of the other sign or spectacular gifts. And so people are like, well, you're not performing miracles, and so I'd rather have the miracles than the word of God. Maybe that's it. Or maybe there were, maybe there were false prophets among them. Maybe someone prophesied and it was false, and so people are like, I'm not going to listen to a word. Or maybe, maybe those in Thessalonica, they were like, hey, we've got people teaching us the word now, but they're not Paul. We really like Paul's preaching, but we don't like the other guy's preaching, right? We don't know why they would despise him. The word despise here, it means to look down on. It actually literally means to think of it as nothing. To think of it as nothing. Let's bring this into the 21st century for a moment. Let me ask you your perception, first of all, of valley. As a church, do, do, we, do we despise the word of God here? Do we, do we make sure everything we do lines up with the word? I actually really want you to think about this. Because I, I know I have blind spots. At the best of my ability, I see everything I can in the way we do ministry, but, but I know that I have blind spots. And there, there is a very good chance there are things that we do that you might be reading the Scripture saying, that doesn't seem to match up very well. I know that in our worship services, we, we strive. We strive to, to value the Word of God. We stand up here and we do a call to worship. What is the call to worship? A newspaper clipping? It's the Word of God. We sing, you've probably noticed, more and more our songs, they have titles like Psalm 8. <laughs> or or they, they're pulled right from Scripture and you're singing the words that God has actually written. Why? So that we can value the Word of God. When, when we begin our preaching, we ask everyone who's able to, to stand. Why? Because it's a religious activity? No, because we want to honor the word. We want to value the word of God. When we preach, I tell you what, when we preach, I want everything I do to be like, you're able to follow along word for word in your Bible. You know that I'm not pulling this out of somewhere else. You know that when we preach, we are pulling it where? From the word of God because we value the word of God. But you know, if you're part of Valley, Valley, you have not the opportunity, but the responsibility to keep your eyes wide open to make sure everything we do is rooted in the understanding of God's prophetic word once and for all delivered to us, the saints. I want you to consider what we do at Valley per, or as, a, as a whole, but let me ask you, do you personally value God's word? When you come into the worship service, you come eager for the word. Do you come with an expectation that you're going to hear, not from Mike, because at the end of the day, you can forget everything I say and just listen to this. Do you come with the expectation that you are going to hear from God? Do you come and as the sermon is being delivered, are you leaning forward and listening closely? Are you taking notes and making sure that, that whatever God wants to get your attention with, you are ready and willing? Or do you kind of sit back and slouch and, and maybe just like, well, hey, I got dinner plans, Mike. Hustle it up, buddy. 
Or maybe it's more subtle than that. You just kind of are, you know, you're kind of tracking, but you're, you're mildly distracted. Let me ask you, do you value the Word of God? How about, how about not on Saturday night, but how about the rest of the week? Is your Bible collecting dust somewhere? Is it rarely opened? Do you, do you neglect going to the Bible studies or the life groups that are offered here because you got all these other things that you value? Do you, do you, he says, don't despise. Let me ask you a question. Do you despise the word of God with your actions or do you delight in the word of God with your actions? Psalm 1 says, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And on the law, he meditates day and night. See, discernment begins when you value the word of God. But let's keep going. See, devotion to God requires discernment from God, and it begins when we value the Word of God. But secondly, of equal importance, discernment, it tests every teaching. Discernment tests every teaching. Verse 21 says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. The context here is, the word of God. Test everything that claims to be of divine origin. Test everything that claims to be sourced from God. Test everything that claims to be from God, the word of God. Now, we, we have this, and this is our ultimate litmus test, right? This is what we measure everything against. But, but we also live in a world where you can turn on your TV or you can go down to the road, I'm sure, to find another church around town and someone will say, thus saith the Lord. I've got a word. Let me tell you what God told me. You, you can find that. You can find that. So then the question is, what does it mean to test and how do we test you see, this word test, in the ancient day, they didn't have the modern-day baking system that we have today. They didn't have cash. They didn't pull out their wallet and say, hey, can you break a 20? They had coins. And you know what coins were? They were precious metal that was melted down to a specific size, and then they were traded. And oftentimes, coin changers or money changers, they would shave the edges off, just a little bit off each coin. You take 100 coins and you shave a little bit off of each one and you can make a couple dozen more. And that's a way to get rich quick, right? But the, the money changers who had integrity, the money changers who would not collect money that did not weigh the correct amount or had its edges shaved off, they had a name for them. The name for them was doikimos. Doikimos is the noun form of the verb in this word, test. It means to examine. It means to ensure the authenticity. It means to take a good, hard look, to take that coin and look at every single edge to make sure there's nothing that has been tampered with. But in our context here, we are to test not a coin, but we are to test something much more valuable. We're to test based with the word of God. That's, that's what it means to test. Now, this is of the utmost important, church. 
Why is this so important? 2 Timothy, we, we, we examined some of 2 Timothy a moment ago. Chapter 4, right after Paul loads up and then tells Timothy, preach the word, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, here's why, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says, he's, the time's coming, and I'll tell you what. The time is here. The time is here where people, where people accumulate for themselves anyone and everyone who says what they want to hear, especially in the way that scratches that itch they have on their ear. And this is what the warning is. And you know what? This is our time because you can go to YouTube and you can accumulate for yourself all the teachers you want who will say anything you want. You have sexual sin in your life, you can find someone who holds the Bible and says it's okay. You have envy and greed and a lust for wealth. You can turn on the YouTube and you can find someone who says, oh yeah, that's great. That's, that God wants to bless you. Jesus loves you, so you can keep sinning. We do not lack for false teachers. We have an abundance of them. And so we are told to test. And so then the next question is, how do I test? I mean, you're probably sitting there, you're saying, you know what, Mike? I don't have a seminary education. How do I know what's right and what's wrong? How do I not get led astray? Guess what? The scripture itself gives you the tests that you use for anyone who speaks, for anyone who speaks for the, for the Lord, for anyone who holds the scripture. Let me give them to you tonight, and I'll tell you what, you can test me on these, and I don't, I don't claim to have perfect teaching or perfect theology. I, I'm guessing there are gaps. I have more to learn every day, but here's the deal. You can test me on these, and anytime you want, you can say, Mike, let's sit down. I've got some questions based on the tests of the scripture. Your very first test, here it is. The first test is the test of orthodoxy. The test of orthodoxy. We'll leave that word on the screen for a moment so you can write it down. Orthodoxy simply means right teaching. Now, this almost sounds a little bit contradictory, right? You need to test something's right with something that's right, but that's actually, that's actually what God says. Go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy with me where you have the test of orthodoxy. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through at least 2. Maybe, maybe I'll go a little bit further. Here's what it says. It says this. If a prophet or a dreamer arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, listen to this, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Time out. He's saying if someone comes before you and they perform a miracle and it happens, someone comes to your, your, your building, your church, your house, and you have a crippled hand and they heal you and your hand is whole, what do you do with that person? Follow along. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. They come 
They perform a miracle, and they tell you to turn your eyes to another God away from Jesus. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. This is intense. This, this says that there can be people who perform miracles supernaturally and then they call you to turn your back away from the one true God. How, how does this happen? Well, there, there's two spiritual forces in the world. There's the force of God, which is good and holy and true. And then there's the enemy of God who wages war against the things of God. There is the Satan and demons who are spiritual beings who have real power. And in that moment, there is a test, not for the prophet or the dreamer, and they, if the, they can perform a miracle, the test is for you. It's the test of orthodoxy. That really what this is saying is if anyone is able to do something supernaturally, or I'll put it this way, even if someone is very charismatic, that they can speak in a way that is just so enjoyable to listen. You, you hang on every word they say. They're riveting in their storytelling and their wonderful way of speech. They are such a great teacher, but they're not orthodox according to the scripture. They fail the test. Don't listen to their words. Galatians 1.8, you can write this down. I'm not going to have it on the screen. Galatians 1.8, this is what Paul says about the same idea. He says, but even if we, he says, if I change my story, <laughs> he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. He says, even if an angel shows up in our very midst, bright, brighter than you can even look at, let him be accursed. He says, even if your pastor, even if Mike goes off the rails and starts saying things that don't line up with the scripture, let him be accursed. You want to hear something funny? Before service, we were telling our, our team that meets to pray. We're telling our team, this is the second of, or the last of two messages in 1 Thessalonians. We were talking about how, hey, next week we're going to finish it. You, you want to know what's funny? I just looked at the clock for the first time in my sermon. And I'm not even a quarter of the way done. It's seven after. <laughs> Here's what I would like to do. I'm going to give you the next two tests, and then I'm going to summarize for the end. And if you want more conversation, we can talk more. But, but the very first test is this. The very first test is the test of orthodoxy. Here's the second test. The second test is this, the test of fulfillment. The second test is if they prophesy something, it better come true 100% of the time. Deuteronomy 18, 20, verses, or 18, 20 to 22. 
It says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of another God, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your, we'll stop right there for now. Here's what it says. If they prophesy and it doesn't come to speak, then they are a false prophet. The Old Testament didn't give them any grace. See, here's the deal. We live in a world today that they want to prophesy, and they say, I'm going to prophesy something great for you, and it will happen if your faith is strong enough. And they say that our prophecy, it's now only good based on the the strength of your faith. That's not how prophecy works in the Scripture. Prophecy comes true based on the strength of God's character and God's word, not based on your faith. See, therefore, prophecy that's based on the recipient's faith, it's, it's more of a Ponzi scheme than it is prophecy. It's more of a, I want you to follow my words rather than it is something I want you to follow God's word. And you know what? Just about every cult has a list of failed prophecies. Let me just rattle a few off for you. You know the Jehovah Witnesses? They predicted that Christ was going to return in 1914. And then 1915, and then 1925, and then 1935, and then 1951, and then 1967, and then 1986. Oh, I missed 1975. They predicted he would return in the year 2000, and now they have predicted that he's going to return in 2033. That's not a very good record. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, they predicted Christ would return in 1843. And then, when that didn't happen, they predicted he would return in 1844. He didn't come. So then, after the fact, they say, oh, well, we meant something else. You know, the Mormons, uh, Joseph Smith, he predicted that Jesus Christ would return before 1891. What's the Old Testament measure for a prophecy? 100% accuracy. That's one of the easiest ways to sniff out a cult. That's one of the easiest ways to to sniff out a false teacher. Are their prophecies 100% of the time accurate? See, we live in a world where where very rarely do prophecies come down and someone, very rarely does someone who prophesies, do they give you something specific? Actually, rather what they usually do is they give you something vague. I like to call it uh, happy and hazy prophecies where they're going to say something that's so general that you can never test it, and it's so man-centered that you're going to want to hear more of it. That's what most prophecies look like today. I had a friend that when she was in college, she went to a, a Christian college. She lost her eye as a child to cancer. She wore a patch in college. And on the college campus, someone came to her and said, I have prophecy, your eye is going to, your eye is going to be healed. They didn't know that behind that patch there was no eye. They still have a patch, by the way, decades later. But, but it sure sounds happy. But, but the problem is when, when we, we gravitate toward these kind of happy and hazy prophecies, people get hurt because we end up manipulating them away from the gospel. Instead of wanting the, the pure, true word of God, you know what they say? Say, I don't need this. I need a word from God. I don't, need the, I don't need the scripture, the solid word of God. I, I just need God to whisper something into my heart. And they miss that he's already revealed himself 
in everything he wants. Test number three, holiness. Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Is 100% of the life the leader is living, is it leading the listeners toward holiness or is it excusing sin or engaging in unrepentant sin? These are your tests. See, devotion to God requires discernment from God. It starts when you value the word of God. It continues when you test. And then finally, it says, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from what is evil. Here's my summary of this. When you hold fast to what is good, you hold fast to the true word of God and the moral life it calls you to live. You hold fast to the gospel. And when you abstain from what is evil, you, you, you flee, you shun, you run away from anything the scripture says that should not be in your life. It's as simple as that. Hold fast to what is good in the teaching. Hold fast to what is good in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we bit off more than we could chew tonight. But this is an amazing text, and there are amazing truths to mine out of it. Father, I pray you would, I pray that you would help us tonight to think rightly about your word. God, as we consider how, how many messages we receive. How many different people will stand holding your word only to twist it for their own purposes? Father, I pray that you would allow us nothing else but but to value your word and then to take your word and test the teaching of every every teacher we encounter. God, I pray we would do it not just because we want to be right. I pray we would do it out of a desire to be more devoted to you, to love you well, to love you correctly. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.